Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. Before we get into today's message, we want to remind you that if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here in our local community, you can text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information. There you can let us know how we can be praying for you this week, get plugged into a life group, you can give online, sign up for a serve team, and so much more. Finally, you can find today's message notes in the Bible app. Just tap the link in the podcast episode notes to follow along with us. Now let's get ready to hear a great message today. All right. Hey, you guys put your hands together. Let's welcome those who are watching online today. Thank you so much for being here with us and um, just being a part. We're so thankful for you. Unbelievable. This crew up here, you got to watch out for them. Well, good morning. I want to um, talk to you this morning about a topic that I believe is probably applicable to every person here today, regardless of where you are in life, regardless of the season you're in, uh, what your past is, what what your future is. It, it doesn't matter. And as a pastor and communicator, it's it's one of those challenges that you always have where you go, I, I don't know that I can you know, speak something today that's literally going to be for every person. But this is one of those sweet spots in Scripture where this is just applied to every single person. So if you have your Bible or you've got version, I want you to go with me and follow me this morning and go to the book of Romans. And this is an incredible um, message given to this incredible church in an upscale community, a very um, affluent place. Uh, this, this was home to Paul, and so um, he's addressing a home crowd. It's going to be a mixed crowd. You know, there's going to be some here who love him, some who don't, uh, but he is going to speak directly into their, their culture, and uh, we're going to get to be the recipient of this great conversation today. I want to start and just kind of build a foundation by talking out just a a, a principle, and it's this. It's really impossible for us to live a life that has solution to it or live out a circumstance that has solution to it when you don't know what the problem is. And it's like you can feel like something's not really working right, but I don't know what it is. Okay, now let, let me equate that to like a car and a vehicle. When, when you have a car that is about to break down or something's going wrong, it'll feel funny to you. It'll feel against what you've historically felt with it. So you're like, there's a, there's a little pull in one direction or it shakes when I put the brake on or it's got a noise or there's a knock. You'll explain it to your mechanic to the best of your ability, but you'll, you'll start to say there's something going on, but I really don't know what it is. And this is how it feels to us a lot of times spiritually or relationally or, re- relationally or psychologically. We, we say, hey, there's, um, you know, there's something going on, but I really can't put my finger on it. I can't, I can't define it. And this is going to happen really with all of us, every single person in, in this room. And it happened 2,000 years ago as he's addressing these people. He's going to tell them there's a problem. And you may not know what the problem is, but I'm going to help identify what that problem is. So perhaps you are here today and you've spent a lot of time in your life trying to solve you. 
okay? I don't want you to raise your hand or say amen, but you've spent a lot of time trying to fix something in you. Maybe you've spent a lot of money trying to solve you. Maybe your spouse has given you a lot of books for you to read because she believes that she can solve you with those books. Maybe you've been on vacation trying to solve you. Maybe you've secretly watched Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil trying to solve you, like you're a closet watcher. You know, late in the midnight hour, you're in the bathroom watching DVR of of Dr. Oz trying to figure out what's going on. You might have a theory of what is wrong with you, but like you driving your car and not really knowing what it is, but feeling or sensing like there's something going on, it is evident to you that there's an issue, there's a problem. And this is a result of our humanity. I think sometimes we just, we look at ourselves and we go, man, there is, why, why, do, why am I doing that? Why do I keep responding? Why does that one person bring out the worst in me? Why do I act that way every time this happens or that happens? Why do I worry so much? Why do I care what people think? It's like, it's like you want to reach in and you want to pull a part of that out of you. And... But the problem may be that you don't know what the problem may be. And so you have lost some things in your life maybe because you are trying to solve you. You may have been trying to solve you in the course of that. You've lost someone. Maybe you've lost a job trying to solve you. Maybe you've lost a lot of time. You've lost a lot of sleep. You've lost a reputation all in effort to solve you. So what I'm going to do today is give you an idea of what the problem is, and I'm going to use the Apostle Paul as a tool to do that. Now, if you are not a Christian today, like you you in your heart of hearts would say, I am at a place right now where I'm not following Jesus. Like the Bible is not my standard of life. I'm going to tell you that that's okay. Stay with me, okay? Because through the course of this message this morning, you may realize, even though you're not a believer, that what I'm going to speak about this morning still relates to where you are, and maybe you'll be open to trying what I'm going to talk about to th- this morning because what you're doing right now isn't working. So I want us to start in Romans chapter 7. We're going to read one of the most open comments that Paul has ever made. Okay, I think personally he's having one of those days, one of those moments where he's like, I'm just going to write this out and pin this out, and I'm going to do it unfiltered. This is not about how, how educated he is. This is not about how well-known he is. He's like, I'm going to have an authentic moment. I'm being real, and here it is. All right, It's beautiful. But he says in verse 15 of chapter 7, I do not understand what I do. I could pause right there and preach a while, right? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. 
Okay, so he's basically saying, even though I do what I don't want, I can still look at the law and go, that's a good law. Okay, now this sounded very Dr. Seussish, but let's read it again. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? And I I want want to apply this to us. So this law that he's talking about doesn't necessarily have to be the, whoa, the law of Moses that he is is talking about. This, This could be any life principle that produces health and goodness in your life. And he's saying, I know what to do, but I don't do it. I want to do the right thing, but I don't. I want to think the right way, but I don't. Instead, he says, I do the things I hate. He's saying there's something enormous going on between what I know is right and what I actually live out. Like, I can be full of self-help and full of scripture and full of good principle, but something happens. And I don't do what I want to do. You can't get more raw than that, right? And he said, so there's a, there's a problem. I may not be able to put my finger on it, but something isn't working here. And you and I do the exact same thing. I mean, a, a simple example, I can go to my doctor and he can tell me all day that processed sugar is not good for me. And I will leave and on the way home get a box of Twinkies. I mean, you know, they'll stick my finger to check my blood sugar and out comes cream filling. You know, I'm like, sorry about that. You know, I'm like. We know what to do, but we don't do it. This is a problem. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, we try to go, oh, that's, that's just teenager mentality. It's not just teenager mentality. This is adult mentality. This is post-maturity mentality. Like, I know what to do and I don't do it. I do the things I hate, even though I see the law and I say that law is good. It would work for me. So there's a big part of us that know what, what we should do, and we also know the outcome. We know that if we do what we should do, what is right, what is life-giving, what is healthy, the outcomes are rewarding, right? We know that if we will do those things, we're better spouses, we're better friends, we're better dads, we're better employees. We are just better at life. We feel better. We look better. Our, our conscience is clear. It's like we are just, we're heading into life just full of good things when we do the things that we should do. Well, enter Paul. And the reason that we should listen to Paul or believe what Paul has to say is because Paul was good friends with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who hung out with Jesus. And after hanging out with people who hung out with Jesus, he falls in love with their stories. Like, tell me more about those conversations. Tell me what's going on. And even though Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John did a great job of telling us the story of Jesus, Paul picks it up and gets the baton handed to him, and he starts to tease out the stories and make them doctrine that you and I can live by. 
Otherwise, if we don't have doctrine to live by, then we're always pointing to someone else's story. It's never our story. But when we get principle to live by, based upon the story of Jesus, we are forever connected with that incredible story. And that's what Paul's done. He's built a bridge. A bridge that we get to stand on for the rest of our lives that connects us to the cross. So there's this great relationship going on. And in Romans chapter 7, he continues this, verse 18 and 19. He says, I have the desire to do what is good. Now leave leave that up. He says, I've got the desire to do what is good. And this, again, is for every single person in this room. We have the desire to do what is good, but he says, I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Right Now, just for a second, let's pause here. I want you to think about a season or a moment of your life when this happens. You, you know Scripture. You know what will happen if you follow the road that you're on. But we will do it anyway. We will do what we do not want to do. Here's the question. Why don't we just do what we're supposed to? Why can't we muster the strength and the self-discipline to do what we're supposed to? Let's, Let's be really real for just 60 seconds. Seriously, do we need any more advice on what the right thing is? Do we need any more counsel about right or wrong? Why do we have to, in our humanity, teach and reteach or preach and repreach the same stories? in Scripture over and over and over again in the same lifetime? Why does our memory fade? Why does that discipline dissipate? Why does it seem like we leak when it comes to the good things in our lives? Because we do. Case in point, you, go, you went on vacation this summer, most of you. Within two weeks of getting back, you needed another one. Why? Because the first vacation leaked. It's over. You ever been to a conference? You know, when I was a kid, we'd go to church camp. We'd come home ready to save the world. We'd go to church camp, five days, come home. We didn't have cell phones then, but we'd unplug from technology and friend groups and all the things and just kind of disrupt our lives and get in this camp environment and everything, every moment of every day was about the Lord. And we'd come home, man, I mean, fired up, ready to go on missions trips and ready to raise money for freshwater wells and provide shoot. We'd just be fired up. Two weeks later, we needed camp again. Why? Because we leak. And why is that? Why do we read self-help books over and over and over again? Why is the number one podcast we listen to have something to do with us getting better? And I'm not against better. But the truth is we don't need anybody else to tell us to live like no one else so that later in life you can live like no one else. We, we don't need it anymore. We got it. We checked the box. But we don't get it. And we continue to do the things that we don't want to do. 
You can train a dog to do what, what you want it to, but you really struggle to train, train yourself, to discipline yourself. Here's the beginning of Paul's analysis, okay? Let's go to Romans chapter 5, and let's look at verse 6, okay? This is where it gets, it gets really good. He is about to shed light to this, this community, and I'm going to tell you why this verse is so powerful. He says, you see, at just the right time when we were, I love that, ver- that, that word because it's past tense, were still powerless. Everybody say powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Now, here's what's so strong about this is because he does not have to know you. He didn't have to know me. He didn't have to know anybody in his audience. He knows himself, and therefore he's able to say, hey, I'm ungodly, and you're ungodly too. And while we were powerless, had no ability to stop doing the things that we did not want to do and stop thinking the way we we were thinking and acting the way we were acting, while we were in that spot, Christ died for you, for the ungodly. Here's why this is so powerful. Because he's speaking to a polytheistic culture where everything is a God. There are gods everywhere in this culture. A God of the sun and moon and stars and air and fire and water and all kinds of things. And the mentality as it was with multiple gods was you had to keep them all happy. It was all about sacrificing, and it was about cutting yourself, and it was about doing all of these things, whether it was dancing or spinning or, or, or laying on, on, on the ground or, or, or sacrifice of animals. Whatever it was, there was something that you had to do where you said, I'm going to appease this process. And so Paul breaks this mentality by saying, when you were powerless, like had nothing, did nothing good, didn't have a good thought in you, didn't have anything positive going for your life, he died for you. Now, he goes on, I want you to read in uh, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, very rarely will anyone die for an unrighteous person, that, that's, that's a typo. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Here it is. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still a sinner, he died for us. You see what he's telling his original audience? While you were a sinner, he died. Before you ever cut your arm or bled out or served or gave money or sacrificed or did this or did that or recited a chant or, or did it, before you ever burned yourself or anybody else, he died for you while you were a sinner. And for the first time, these people are hearing, there is a God who actually loves me? This isn't about me trying to, trying to earn something and keep something happy, and we continue to pass that on generation to generation to generation because it's in you to want to earn it, to perfect it, to organize it, to compartmentalize it, to make it all make sense. And it's like if it doesn't make sense to you, then it can't make sense to God. If it doesn't make sense to you, then you can't fully live out a life of faith, and that's not true. 
You have to trust the process of what the Lord has done, not what you have done. This is big for us. We've got to be able to lean in to a work that has been done for us and just receive it. If you were raised in a strong religious environment, everything I've just said really rubs you raw. Because it's, it's been about things for a long time. What, what we didn't do and where we didn't go and who our friends were. And even though it would completely contradict some scripture, like you'd say, well, Jesus, Jesus was hanging out with sinners so that he could be a light to them. No, don't hang out with those kind of people. There's got to be a balance there. And so he's telling this crowd, while you were broken and you were failing and you had nothing good going for you, it was then that Christ died for you. Now, what makes this so significant is this was also written and taught when people were alive who had lived while Christ was being crucified. And as Christians, I think our minds, especially in the postmodern church, how we want to view the crucifixion is suddenly Christ is crucified and the entire community comes and kind of gathers around the periphery of the whole scene and together thousands of people are going, this is the Son of God, we were wrong." And that's not what happened. They crucified him because they hated him. They hated his teaching. They hated what he stood for. It was an act of hatred. And just a few hundred yards from where he was being crucified, people were being people. People were working. People were were eating. People were drinking. People were hanging out. People were selling things. People were about their normal lives. To them, they had decided Jesus was just another guy being crucified by the Roman Empire. This does not apply to me. And this is why it was important to hear, while you were yet a sinner, when you didn't care what what Christ was doing, he died for you. And I want that to sit on your chest for just a second. Because that's important. We are never going to be good enough for the work of the cross. None of us. He even told us earlier in Romans chapter 3, every single one of you have sinned and fallen short. Well, that ruins perfection. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to get it all together. I'm never going to self-help myself to death. I'm never going to be so bettered that I will be able to stand before the Lord and say, I did it. Our walk with Jesus is always going to be about you did it for me and I'm living it out. I'm living out the work that you did for me. I didn't do anything and invite you to come alongside of it. No, you did it, I received it, and now I'm living it out. That is what it means to be a Christian. Now in Romans chapter 5, 
if you're following me still. Romans 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. This is a mystery for us. And it does not make sense to you in your intellectual construct that one person at the beginning of time could have opened a door that every single one of us are affected by. It's mysterious. Can't put our hand on it. But there's something going on. It's that driving the car. There's a pull to the left. When I put the brake on, it doesn't feel right. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something there, okay? Listen, sin was introduced to the world through one man. That one man was Adam. And as people were born of Adam, they were born into sin because of Adam. This is not about sinning as a verb. It's about sin as a noun, okay? When you were born, you were born a sinner, but not because you'd done something wrong. Not because you'd gone against God's will. No, it's because sin as a noun was already existing. It's when we hold hands with that noun that it becomes a verb. You were born a sinner. You say, well, Kevin, that's not fair. It's not fair. But you pretty much find out by the time you're 12 years old and sometimes earlier, life is not fair. Nothing. There's some of you, you had incredible parents. Some of you had terrible parents. And that's not fair. Some of you can just think about a child and have a baby. Some of you pray and struggle and strive for years to have one, and it's not fair. Some of you got diagnosed with something terrible early in your life, and that's not fair. Some of you loved someone, and that person left you anyway, and that's not fair. We've buried children and parents and spouses, and best friends, and none of that is fair. It's not fair. But we were born into sin. And sin is bad. And wherever it goes, death goes. In Romans 5, he, he's really going to amp this up, so stay with me just for a few more minutes. Verse 15, he says, But... The gift. This is the gift of salvation. It's the gift of righteousness. He says, This gift is not like the sin of Adam. For if the many died by the sin of the one man, how much more? How much more? How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by that grace from the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Golly, 
If you're going to latch onto one thing to feed your faith, latch onto that verse right there. This is so good. He's saying, listen, we're all overwhelmed by Adam, in sin because of Adam, struggling because of Adam. We do what we do not want to do because of the sin of Adam. But there is a grace that is overflowing to the many from the one work of Jesus Christ, and that is in you too. So this is no longer about what you've done It's about what's been done for you and whether or not you'll receive it. And this is a struggle for some of you. Because some of you are terrible at receiving anything. You're great givers, but you don't receive well. You've been to a restaurant with one of those kinds of people and you try to pay and they just about beat you up over it. You're like, hey, buddy, I'm going to pay today. No, you're not. And they're, you know, throwing cash and credit cards. And I get that's not always the case, but sometimes it can be something revealing in your life that if all you do is give, 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 and you can't receive, you're trying to earn something. And that doesn't work. God has taught us this in the simplest of things. Take a look at your lungs this morning and try to exhale only. And let's see what happens in the next two to three minutes. You're going to pass out. Why? Because you're designed to give and receive so that you can give and receive. You've got to inhale and exhale. Jesus came to give you something that you're never going to deserve. You got to just get it in your head. You're not good enough, smart enough, wise enough, mature enough, rich enough, whatever, to go, that cross, that's, that's for me because of the decisions I've made. No. It was done for you when you were a sinner. What makes the difference is will you just receive it into your life? Will, 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 you, will you take it? Okay? Now let me read this last verse, and then I'm, I'm going to land it. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Stay with me. This is the last verse I'm going to read today. For if by the sin of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. Watch this. Reign in life. Everybody say reign in life. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now this is big. Because he says, listen. Because of what Adam did, death reigned. But because of the gift and the grace of the abundant provision of Jesus Christ, you and I can reign in this life. Well, Kevin, what does reign in life mean? Exactly what it says. Rule over, have dominion in our lives. And here's another thing. This is a pet peeve of mine about Christians. Everything becomes about heaven. Like one of these days, I'm going to get a halo and some wings and a harp. I don't think any of that's going to happen. But one day, 
Okay, one day when I die, things are going to be great. Like, my body won't hurt anymore, and I'll be able to see all my loved ones that have gone on before. And that, that, this is a great hope. But Paul is bringing it right down, present day, right now, in the moment. You can reign in life. Not one of these days. Right now. Here's a final example. What if I told you there was one cancer cell in your body? And that cancer cell eventually was going to attack other cells and it was going to multiply and it was going to take over your body. You would want right now through your intellect to go, then I need to get that one cell. And you would want to reach in to get it, but you can't. Because it, it's, it's just, it's, it's in there. This would be like Adam's DNA. It's just in there. It's, it's a desire to sin. The Bible even tells us, yeah, sin's fun for a season, for a moment. But it's in there. However, what if I told you that the work of Jesus Christ, the grace, the righteousness, the abundant provision is in you? And it can reign over what Adam's done. That we don't have to walk around doing what we don't want to do. This is Paul's crescendo. He normalizes the audience by saying, I do things that I don't want to do. As, as if to say, don't you? But then he circles back to say, but there is something else in me that is bigger than the work of Adam. And because of that, I can reign in my life. I don't have to do the things I hate because I got something bigger in me. And it's bigger than the DNA from Adam. It can override it. It can overpower it. I just got to let it lead. I got to have a fruit of the Spirit and discipline myself. I gotta be sensitive to the things of God. I've gotta actually make following Jesus the priority. Not coming to church or not giving or not serving. No, I'm talking about following Jesus, not just writing a check. I'm not just talking about having Christian music playing, I'm talking about following Jesus. When I follow Jesus, when I lean in to the abundant grace and gift of salvation and righteousness over my life, I win. I reign in my life. And now with clear-headedness, I can make good decisions that produce good fruit. And I surround myself with incredible people who pull out the best in me. And I can forgive and I can let stuff go and I cannot take myself so seriously all the time. I can look at my failings as just that, just a failure. It's something I've done, but it's not something I am. Why? Because I'm walking in the grace, the abundant provisional gift of Jesus Christ. And some of you today, listen to me with, with, with your heart, 
you need to receive it. You need to open your hand and just take it. Stop trying to make it make sense. Stop the excuses. Stop the negative cycle. Stop telling yourself you don't deserve it. Just receive it and reign in life. All right? Why don't you bow your heads with me in this place, and then I'm just going to quickly pray, and then we're going to move into a time of just worship for a second.